Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for finding Whitehall Sources. Before we get stuck into the politics for you, a quick message from the resident. These hotels, like their choice in podcasts, are exceptional. Whether you're travelling for business or leisure, at the resident, you're offered the best rooms, prices and advice for your needs as well. We are so thrilled to be brought to you in association with the resident, who have proudly backed us since day one. When we're booking a stay in London or Liverpool, it's the resident we head to, and it's the resident you should head to. To find out more, click residenthotels.com. I haven't actually gone through the report yet, so... You haven't read the report? Uh, no, I haven't been through the report yet in detail. I've seen it being reported, and I've been very clear in the past that... But you asked Sat Goldsmith to apologise. Yes, because he's a... So you have read it sufficiently to note that Zach Goldsmith should apologise. Yes, I've read the findings report. I haven't read the report from cover to cover, no. But it's I have read the findings. It's three pages long. Hello and welcome to Whitehall Sources. I'm Callum MacDonald. We're recording on Wednesday, the 5th of July which is the 75th anniversary of the founding of the NHS. Lots more on that to come throughout the episode today, guided by Kirsty Buchanan, former special advisor to Theresa May when she was Prime Minister. Hello, Kirsty. Hello. Uh, mug update for mug aficionados. Kirsty's drinking out of the number 10 mug today. Uh, a white mug with black 10 written on it in the style of the door of Downing Street. Did you get it in Downing Street? Is that official Downing Street merch? I did indeed. I've also got um, Downing Street Christmas tree baubles, which are oh. my great delight. That's a fun uh, one. So, and I'm fairly sure you can get these online in the shop. So if you ever want to give someone a distinct uh, Christmas present that doesn't cost to the earth, very nice. I can recommend the number 10 Christmas a bubble. Did I tell this story before? When Times Radio started three years ago, in June three years ago, and then the first Christmas, a Christmas tree appeared on our floor of the building, and it had Times Radio branded baubles on, and they started going missing. 
People were heaving them out the door. Ridiculous. I'm not. We also have mugs now. Actually, Times Radio mugs. I'm not sure if any if any of those have been purloined. Um, but anyway, well, that's good. So a number ten mug today. So add that to the collection. Whitehall sources, listeners, and fans of Kirsty's political mugs. Uh, right. Lots to talk about today. We're going to focus on the NHS. Um, and I suppose there's there's lots of discussion about the NHS at 75. And I think, Kirsty, you came up with this sort of broad theme for today's podcast title, which you'll have seen. Will the NHS, as we know it, make it to 100? And I think that is a really good focus for today's episode. Um, where should we start with this? Should we start with Sajid Javid and his royal commission? So a couple of days ago... Sajid Javid, who was Health Secretary, of course, who, by the way, uh, resigned from government a year ago today. Here's a nice little quirk. This was the beginning of the end of Boris Johnson a year ago today. Um, I just thought I'd drop that in. Uh, nod to Christian Calgary of The Express, who highlighted that. Uh, anyway, uh, Sajid Javid, in the last couple of days, has called for a royal commission saying the health service is unsustainable. He described it as frozen in time, saying that for decades, governments have fallen short on improving it said a former health secretary. Uh, right, what is the point of a royal commission? What is what is the idea with a royal commission here? What would it do? Uh, well, first of all, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to both Sajid Javid uh, <laughs> and all those that followed suit. Um, and happy anniversary to the NHS. Or is it? Mm. Um, and I suspect this is the point, really. There's precious little that is happy about this particular anniversary because... Uh, uh, you know, the NHS is, you know, to coin a very popularly used phrase today, in a critical condition. So uh, I've been a relative fan of the idea of a Royal Commission for quite some time now. Um, so unsurprisingly, I'm going to uh, say that I think Sajid Javid might be on to something here. Uh, Sajid Javid turned out to be actually a very thoughtful uh, and good health secretary uh, and came up with a lot of initiatives that I thought were useful um, and meaningful. I don't know how many of those have fallen by the wayside, but this is definitely one that, that deserves a thorough airing. And listen to him being interviewed yesterday uh, on Times, obviously, wouldn't Fantastic. listen to anything else. Fantastic, well done. Um, and it's an interesting point he makes here. In private, he will find lots of politicians from both sides of the House that would agree with the idea that the state of the NHS is so parlous now that we need to take politics out of it, mm. if you like, because the short-termism of politics and the political cycle is actually getting in the way of the long-term health of the NHS. Uh, they will do that in private, but obviously they're frightened to say this sort of thing in public because uh, the NHS is, you know, still the closest thing we have to a, you know, a secular religion in this country, um, and they're frightened of of political backlash. So, yet again, tediously, we're likely to go into yet another general election where the NHS, which remains uh, hugely beloved of the of the uh, British public and second amongst their concerns only to the cost-of-living crisis, mm. will be once again used as a political football. Um, now, I think a couple of things about this. You know, I've heard Royal Commission being dismissed quite easily this morning by uh, some Conservatives as it would take too long. Well, you know, this government has been in for 13 years. 
we could have had a Royal Commission reform and then some by now. Instead, we had the Andrew Lansley reforms in 2010, which must go down in history as one of the most ill-thought-out sets of reforms of any institution ever. Um, uh, and then, you know, just a sort of endless throwing cash at the problem since. Now, I'm not saying that cash isn't a big part of the problem, but it's not the whole, uh, it's not the whole issue uh, and it's certainly not the whole solution. So, uh, you know, things are so parlous that the only way that I can see of moving forward, even if it does take a couple of years, would be to remove the politics from it. I also think this needs to be aligned with a big national poll, which someone like the Blair Institute I think has the funds to be able to uh, support to test the waters on just how far the public are prepared to go uh, on this. Because if you want to take the fear factor out for politicians and political parties about suggesting some stuff that would seem to be, you know, uh, crossing a line, well, let's see where the line is for the public now. Let's see what the public think about, you know, co-payments or a state-sponsored insurance scheme or top-up payments or, uh, you know, or all of the above. Let's see where that line is for the public now because I don't think I'm sort of peculiarly alone in thinking that things have got so bad that, you know, I'm prepared to, you know, back things uh, for the greater good that I wouldn't have been prepared to back, I don't know, 20 years ago. Yeah. I want to... Um, just pick up on what you said there about reforms, because I remembered that last Friday we were talking on the radio about the NHS workforce plan, which was finally unveiled uh, to try to plug that massive gap of thousands upon thousands of vacancies in the NHS. Now, before we get to that, I just want to nod to play political playbook reporter Noah Keat who had a little look through the vast number of attempts there have been at reforming the NHS. And I'm going to read this from Political Playbook. It's a long list, but I think it highlights, it makes a point in quite a dramatic fashion. They say, to name only a few, there is the COVID backlog plan, promising to grow and support the workforce and recruit 10,000 nurses from overseas. That was in Feb 2022. There's the Build Back Better plan, promising to improve workforce planning. That was September 2021. There's the NHS long-term plan, which promised a comprehensive new workforce implementation plan from January 2019. There's the planned workforce strategy to 2027, which was in August 2018. There's the five-year NHS funding plan, with 3.4% real terms rises to mark the NHS's 70th birthday. That was in June 2018. There's a five-year forward view that promised to commission and expand new health and care rules from October 2014. You've mentioned Andrew Lansley's reforms from April 2013. And the list could go on. But that makes the point, doesn't it, that there have been so many attempts at this. And I suppose the latest one is this NHS workforce plan that was announced last week, um, which... <sighs> which seem to focus on recruitment and doubling the number of medical school places and increasing the number of nurses, all of which are, are worthwhile. But the concerns that we heard on the radio that day were about, well, hang on, there are so many different levels to this at which you need to intervene. So yes, we want more doctors, but that means you need more places in unis, which means you'll need more professors, which means you need more placements on wards for junior doctors to get into, etc., etc. So the workforce plan is the latest attempt, I suppose, to reform the NHS. Yeah, and listening uh, that's a that's a very good hat tip actually. I hadn't I hadn't seen that. Um uh, and it is quite staggering. And in mm. fact the 70th anniversary 
20 billion pound cash injection the biggest single cash injection into the NHS ever um was uh, during the time that I was uh, at number 10 in fact I briefed that very story into uh into the press because mm. uh, it went as a Sunday story um so yes there are a lot it makes the point uh that money is not the uh, sole solution to this problem um and that how best to reform the NHS remains something of an intractable issue, which comes back to my point about perhaps all the more reason to take politics out of it mm-hmm. uh, and and have some sort of royal commission. Just to just to pick up on that though, this the the sort of suggestion behind this whole you know we've had twenty billion you know workforce strategies and reforms and nothing's ever changed. Uh, just to put this in perspective. We actually have uh, more nurses and more doctors. We have 16% more doctors and 11% more nurses in the NHS now than we did in 2019 in the pandemic. So actually, some of these reforms and some of this money is converting into more people. But there are all sorts of systemic uh, issues within the NHS that go far deeper uh, and are much more complicated than just throwing bodies at the mm. problem, mm. Um, of which we can talk about. But look, the, the £2.4 billion workforce strategy is a step in the right direction. It will uh, train more doctors and nurses. Uh, it does go some way to uh, addressing the issue of retention, although not nearly far enough. And, you know, the elephant in the room of that entire announcement was around pay. You know, yeah. we've got, you know, junior doctor strikes, nurses strikes and consultants going out. And nary a word was mentioned about what is, you know, one of the most fundamental immediate problems at the moment, which mm. is that their pay is below inflation. So I don't think that, you know, improving flexible working and some pension scheme reform is going to be enough to stop uh, 130,000 staff from leaving earlier than they would have otherwise, which is the target within this train retain uh, and reform strategy uh but look you know it is something it will create you know a, a deeper workforce but one of the issues they have is you know you're filling up a, you're trying to fill up a bath with a with a plug out so you know as fast as you're pouring people in people are going out and you're not replacing like with like i had this at the ministry of justice you know we needed to recruit uh, 5,000 more prison officers, which we did. Uh, but at the same time, we had a terrible retention problem. And so you have a disproportionate workforce with less than five years of experience. And you all know, as in any job, yeah. you know, the more experience you've got, the more shortcuts you know, you know how to navigate the system, you know which levers to pull. And in other words, if you're replacing inexperienced staff with experienced staff, sorry, experienced staff with inexperienced staff, you're building more delays into the system mm-hmm. uh, because people don't know where the shortcuts are. Is there a risk with the NHS, you think, on a day like today that it becomes a battle over, you know, who expresses the most love for the NHS and actually we do get a bit bogged down in sentimentality? Um, you know, the language around it, Steve Barkley in Times Redbox this morning, the health secretary said, the NHS is our most treasured national institution. And I do think that a lot of these things are are almost at risk of just stating the blindingly obvious that actually people do like the NHS, they appreciate it, etc. But we need to move past that. It's not about a loving, it's about a really pragmatic approach to 
hang on a second, it's not working, we need to fix this. Is there a, is there a gulf between public attitudes which are, yes, we like it, but we know it's not working, and politicians who are almost fighting over each other today to say, it, no, I love it more than you do? Yeah, a loving arms race, as it were. It's <laughs> yeah, exactly. not a contradiction in terms. <laughs> uh, look, you know, it's a fact that, you know, public support for the institution remains uh, extremely strong, very high, but public satisfaction has slumped to an all-time low. Uh, and what this kind of, you know, lovelier-than-thou kind of attitude today completely overlooks is the point that people aren't happy with it. You know, you can love something but think it, desperately needs an overhaul, mm. right? Um, which comes back to my point. You know, we, we need a, you know, we need a survey, a, 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 a comprehensive, you know, an Ashcroft or a, you know, Tony Blair Institute, huge money invested survey to assess exactly where the people, where the public would be prepared to go on this. You know, I am old enough to remember, sadly I'm old enough to remember <laughs> new Labour, uh, you know, more radical centrist new Labour thinkers pushing the idea of co-payments. So co-payments are for those that can, not those on benefits or what have you, but for those that can, you pay a small nominal fee to, for argument, like C or GP, uh, pushing that back in new Labour's days. And what do I, you know, what I do when I look at the Tony Blair's Institute, you know, here's how to fix the NHS report out today, mm. co-payments are in there. Yeah. Well, you know, this problem... This problem that we've had with an increasingly ageing population, increasingly exp expensive tech, didn't start in 2010 with the Conservative government. It didn't. You know, it's been... You know, I've been writing about this for many, many, many years, you know, and it, since the 1990s, you know, anybody that, you know, that, that could read the runes was saying that the NHS was going to be one of the biggest casualties of the demographic time bomb unless we took urgent long-term reform action. Whatever the answer was, it definitely wasn't the Lansley reforms, but which created this insanely complicated bureaucratic internal market, which, you know, if you put a gun to anybody's head, including Lansley, I suspect would struggle now to explain the rationale or the benefits of it. But, it, gosh, it took a really, really complicated system and made it about a billion times more complex and bureaucratic than it needed to be, which is why you get this idea that there's tonnes and tonnes of managers in the NHS and yet it seems to be not terribly well managed. managed. I think the whole system, you know, you, you, de you know, if you're going to reform it, this wouldn't be the place you would choose to start, yeah. let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, but, yes, there's lots, of, there's lots of sentimentality about it. Uh, and a public that have said, "Look, you know, this isn't good enough. <laughs> you know, we don't enough with your, you know, your, your clapping through pandemic or your, uh, you know, your opining about what a jewel it is in the nation's crown. You know, if it is, then give it a polish. You know, because yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it's in it's in danger. And you know, we deserve better. We pay our taxes to have a better service than this. And like any service that is." failing its taxpayers it deserves a thorough comprehensive long-term and in my view non-political overhaul here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. News has reached us from our friends at the Resident Hotels, without whom we would not be here. This podcast is made in association with The Resident. The Resident in Covent Garden in London has been confirmed by TripAdvisor Traveller's Choice Best of the Best as the number two hotel in the UK and number 15 in Europe for 2023. Already, the resident Covent Garden had a magnificent reputation. It was number one in the UK TripAdvisor Traveller's Choice Best of the Best in 2022. And the resident in Victoria and the resident in Soho, both in London, feature in the UK Top 20. Add to that news that the resident in Liverpool, the resident Victoria and the resident in Kensington are all now ranked in the top 10% of hotels worldwide by TripAdvisor. Basically... What we're saying is, if you need a hotel in Liverpool or in London, book The Resident. I want to add to that then, uh, Rishi Sunak's pledge, uh, which we have come back to and we are going to keep revisiting because that's literally why it exists. But I noted this acknowledgement from uh, Maria Caulfield, um, health minister, uh, today saying that record NHS waiting list will get worse before they get better. Um, the waiting list is already more than 7 million. And so she has said, <laughs> to mark the 75th, uh, anniversary of the NHS, that that's going to get worse. Um, she said, we've always been very clear Ooh, that... happy after- birthday <laughs> to <laughs> you. <laughs> Shall I dig out the BBC Philharmonic again? Um, she, told Sky- <laughs> she told Sky News, we've always been very clear that after COVID, when routine procedures were shut down quite rightly to protect, fo- uh, to protect focus on COVID, the waiting list would go up before it would start to come down. So it will start to come down, but it will go up before it comes down. So there you are. There's some lovely garbled language to basically say it's going to get a lot worse. And the point you were making on last week's pod, Kirsty, was that actually something like a waiting list needs to get a lot better for it to be considered that it's got better. Because if it drops from 7.2 million to 6.8 million, well, that's still absolutely massive. Yeah, I mean, let me throw some stats at you Please for do. a second. Please Forgive do. me, because I researched these, so I'm determined to crowbar them in. It's like an exam where uh, you've got all the quotations, so you need to get them in, even if it's Romeo and Juliet some, on Shakespeare, some... on, uh, on, on Macbeth. Yeah. <laughs> Out of respect for the NHS and everyone that works in it, I put some proper prep into this one. Uh, so, yeah, look, waiting lists are at a record 7.4 million, which is 200,000, 220,000 up from when Sunak made the pledge to bring them down. Public satisfaction is at a record low. There are 112,000 vacancies in NHS alone and in NHS England alone and rising. Expenditure on agency staff has increased by 51% in the last three years. The number of people turning to private care in desperation has risen by 39%. Wow. 
excess mortality, this one blows my mind, excess mortality is running above the five-year average, and that includes the pandemic years. Wow. We are below kind of EU averages on all manner of uh, serious illnesses, including several cancers. Uh, in fact, all cancers, I think we're catching up on some, but mm. below on others. Uh, the number of people economically inactive because of ill health is at a record high of 2.55 million. Um, and uh, the good news is it's only going to get worse because the number of people aged over 85, most of whom will have chronic health conditions, will soar by 55% by 2037. Gosh. 55%. So our mortality rate is higher than it was, you know, including the pandemic years. We are spending a bundle on agency staff and we'll spend a bundle more uh, and our population, our demographic time bomb is, you know, exploding uh, all around us. But, you know, the, the kind of mother of all uh, bombs will explode, you know, in the 30s, 2030s, not the 2020s. Yeah. So, yes, the workforce strategy is desperately needed. Uh, but we've got some, you know, we've got some serious, serious problems here. And I've just... I don't think we, you know, my own personal view is I don't want to see another general election where, you look, we've got, you know, for once we've got a really centrist, sensible Conservative leader and a really centrist, sensible Labour leader, right? During COVID, Keir Starmer took a lot of shtick, not least from his own side, for putting politics aside for the benefit of the, of the nation's mm -hmm. health during the pandemic. Explain to me when you hear those stats... What is the difference? Because I can't see it. For the benefit of the nation's health, why on earth won't the Conservatives and Labour put aside their political differences? And this, you know, look, I know people are going to say this is naive, yada, 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 I get all that. But, you know, put aside for the nation's health their political football games around the NHS and come and coalesce around an agreed mm. long-term strategy that they can both back and support. There's not a million miles away from, you know... Uh, the rhetoric is, is, you know, heavy kind of distance, but the reality is, you know, a lot of the solutions are, you know, numbers, rouse over numbers, you know, should we get 30,000 more nurses or 40,000 more nurses? It's this kind of arms race. Well, OK, let's just agree on some figures together and go into the election like that. Yeah. Because I'm fairly sure that one thing I could guarantee in a poll is the public are buck sick of uh, politicians using this as a political football while it crumbles, uh, which is a terrible mixed metaphor, um, uh, and, and not, you know giving this the urgency and the consensus that I think most of the public would think it deserves. I'm also quite interested because there is there is sort of there is quite a lot of overlapping slash mutual territory. So Steve Barclay writing um, today, I believe the model of the NHS free at the point of care is a source of national pride. I know that my colleagues across government are equally fully committed to these founding principles. And that's often one that, that comes up as a, as a point of contention, a point of political difference. But if there's consensus around some of these really foundational things, I wonder if it if it's actually easier now than ever, if the public will is there, if there is political consensus, is it easier now than ever to, to take the politics and throw it out the window? Well, th th that point alone is a load of old bunkum. It hasn't <laughs> been free at the point of delivery since we introduced fees for prescription drugs and eye tests, etc., yeah. etc. Et yeah. You know, or or dental care. It's not free at the point of delivery. And the more we continue to peddle these myths. 
the harder we make it for ourselves to actually bring any bring forward any reform on it. You know, I was you know West Street. I was listening to West Streeting talk about what Labour would do the other day, mm-hmm. and you know, hats off to him for a great line about ending the eight a.m. Hunger Games called your GP <laughs> for an appointment. Uh, <laughs> anyone that can that end this bizarro system, I mean, I've completely given up on the mm-hmm. doctors. You know, I will either. Yeah, I will either get better on my own or I'll, I'll I'll get some drugs that I know I need through private doc tap or what have you because it's just an insanity. Yeah. But outside of that, we are fundamentally talking about a, you know a bunch of neighbours and numbers and throwing a bunch of numbers around. And let's not forget, by the way, you know uh, that the NHS is run by the Labour government in Wales mm-hmm. and the SNP in Scotland, and it's a basket case in both. So, you know, no one has got any moral kind of high horse to climb on here. Mm. There is a systemic fundamental problem with a uh, in part lack of investment, but also a chronic over successive governments and different political parties at failure to long term uh, reform in the right way to meet the demographic time bomb that we've all known was coming since the 1990s, right? So nobody has got, you know, any kind of horse to but it really doesn't help when we wang on about this idea that it's free at the point of delivery. It's not. Mm. It's not. You know, and when 39% more of us are having to turn to private health care because we're too frightened to put our lives and our health in the NHS, mm. you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I want the NHS to survive as an institution, but not for me. You know, for other people who aren't as fortunate as I am to be able to go, oh, gosh, you know, I need to turn to, to the, you know, to private to get this done because, I, you know, I can't rely on the NHS to do it quickly. And this isn't a criticism. You know, everybody knows the quality of the medical staff, you know, and the quality of medical care you will get in the NHS is second to none, mm. right? It's the same as you'll get in the private uh, healthcare world. They're the same people. They are the same people with the same skills. It is not, you know, but every time that politicians use this cloak of saying you're attacking NHS workers, not. We're trying to have a sensible and grown up uh, conversation, uh, you know, full of facts and free of rhetoric about how we take this great, great institution of ours and make it survive for the next 75 years. Because you know, you know, it's going to struggle to reach 80 at this rate, let alone a 100th anniversary. Um, and it deserves to be... Uh, it deserves to have consensus and it deserves to be saved because it is an amazing, amazing institution which saves millions and millions of lives every year, mm. every year, every day, every week, you know, myself included. Um but there are some systemic chronic problems and, you know, it just doesn't benefit any of us if you peddle these myths and you push a load of rhetoric and you score political points on it. It's far too serious for that. It's too important an institution and the situation it faces is far too critical. Sorry, shall I get off my rant box? No, I think what you're doing is very neatly and succinctly summing up exactly where actually the majority of people are. NHS gets a yes. People love it. You know, when we compare it to other places, as you say, around the world, it's an absolute yes. But there's just that acknowledgement that it does not serve us in the way it needs to. And that is a systemic failure rather than a failure of the idea of the NHS or indeed of the people who work in the NHS. And that's the crucial thing. So um, I suppose it comes down to then 
Uh, our overarching question, will the NHS make it to 100? Not in its current form, I think it's fair to say, is, is where we're, what we're getting at today. And MPs need to stop being scared of embracing that fact and therefore and using it to propel them into action. Is that where we're getting yeah, at today? Look, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Look, there are, there are plenty of um, European examples, both uh, examples where their health system is paid for out of general taxation... Mm. Although I put the caveat on that, that means that people tend to pay, uh, if you could believe this, even higher taxes than personal taxes than we do. Um, it's paid for with a variety of kind of top-up uh, fees, if you like. I mean, you take the German example, which has uh, sickness funds, which is a mandatory kind of uh, health insurance scheme. Um, you know, so there's plenty of 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 like countries that we can look to to find an alternative model i don't think a royal commission needs to take 22,000 years i think if there is a will i mean look look what we achieved when there was a will in covid you know we built hospitals in weeks and you know we turned industries into new industries to create uh, breathing apparatus and ppe mm. you know we 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 did miraculous things to save the nation's health and we can and we should do miraculous things again. I mean, just to look at some of the spending around this, um, you know, Labour spent, uh, in every year that Labour, New Labour was in, it spent over and above and kept pace with both inflation and the, and the demographics. It's true to say the Conservatives have continued to increase spending year on year on the NHS, but it is not keeping pace with the demands of the service. And it would need to, I think, slightly more than double uh, to do so. So we spent £30 billion less than the EU 14 average um, in the last sort of 10 years to 2019. We have more people. So we are spending more money, but we're achieving less mm. right, than the EU 14. We have more people, we have more doctors and we have more nurses in the system and we have a plan to put more in still. But nevertheless, that is not keeping pace uh, with the experience and it's not holding on to good and qualified and experienced people and building delays in. Mm. If you take capacity, Germany has six beds for every thousand members of, of, of the population. We have two beds for every... Which is why we got in such difficulties during pandemic, because we don't have bed capacity. Added to which, of course, 10% of our bed capacity is held up by what the what we used to slightly meanly call bed blockers, which mm. were, you know, elderly people that needed to... Uh, that weren't ill enough to be in, in hospital beds anymore, but we didn't have the community social care for them. And we haven't even touched on the impact of our constant, constant failure to truly integrate our system of health and social care and how that impacts. Um, and again, that's one of those constant over-promising and under-delivering failures of successive governments. Mm. And we also have a capacity and a lack of machines. We have the fifth lowest number of CT and PET scanners and MRI units per capita in the OECD. Now, uh, just to give you one slightly personal example, you know, I have been kept waiting for three weeks for a bone scan because they think my cancer may have spread to my bones and my chemo is held up because we have one functioning CT scanner. The other one is broken. Brilliant. <laughs> you know, uh, 
I mean, short of piling on bodies on top of each other, you know, I don't know what, uh, you know, it's not, it's, it's not the fa- fault and failures of the staff. No. We just don't have the equipment. And how many times have you been to a NHS doctors or uh, to a hospital where they've still got those massive computers with the backs on them yes, and the yeah. kind of flashing cursor? Those things take forever mm-hmm. to process and load. You think of all the minutes that are spent waiting for that cursor to blimp its way on, all the seconds and all the minutes that all build up to delays in the system because we don't have the capacity. I read somewhere the other day. Now, I don't know if this is true or not because it made me almost choke on my cornflakes, 20% of hospital trusts are still using paper records. Yes, I read something To which something the only real response... Mm. Yeah, the only real response in the 21st century is what the actual... I mean, yeah. it's just insane. Completely. So the, the capacity isn't there, the retention isn't there, so everything is working in the wrong direction to store up those delays within the system and work against, no matter how much money and how many people you throw at the system... If you don't kind of reform some of the fundamentals underneath it, it will never get any better. Um, So, you know, we all know what the problem is. What I want to know is how far we can push the public in terms of what they would accept in terms of reform. And then I want, you know, both the main political parties to reach consensus for the nation's health. Because, you know, the health and well-being uh, of the nation, you know, as well as its security, is, is the top priority, should be the top priority for any government. So stop peddling around myths. Enough with the loving, you know. Enough with the, you know, the political rhetoric. Let's let's kind of look at the facts and reach a consensus and move forward on it quickly. Because, uh, you know, we pay a lot in taxes mm-hmm. for a service that we love dearly, but just isn't, uh, you know, isn't performing like it used to. Thank you, Kirsty. Great to speak to you today. And it's so uh, good to get your analysis and indeed your personal experience of the NHS as well, which is so important in informing the way forward from here. Um, How is Westminster party season going for you? You were chatting about your glad rags last week. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I went to something very, I went to something very hot and sweaty in the Lords the other day. Oh, lovely. uh, Which uh, was really good fun, to be fair. Good, good. Uh, And I'm going to something hot and sweaty tomorrow night as well. Fantastic. To bid farewell to uh, one of the great institutions of the lobby, which is uh, Chris Hope's leaving the Telegraph after, you know, gosh knows how many years uh, to, to take up a new role. Um, and Chopper, as he is known, uh, is something of an institution, so this is oh. going to be a big deal party, and I don't want to miss out. And I will actually, now we've talked about the Telegraph, tie in, if I may. Mm-hmm. Uh, the former political editor of the Telegraph was a was a guy called George Jones. And George Jones was a relatively elderly man who fell off his bicycle one day and broke his hip. And he wrote for the Telegraph, and gosh knows how many years ago this was, probably going back about 20 years, Mm. right? But this always stuck with me. Um, And he wrote this great article about his experience, having broken his hip, of being in the NHS, and this almost certainly would have been under New Labour because he was making the point about, you know, if you put in targets, and Labour was obsessed by targeting everything, if you put in targets, people find cunning ways to meet them, but without meeting them, you know, they meet the technicality but not the spirit of them, yeah. Um, and so he was put in a bed uh, at a certain, you know, time frame within a target, 
uh, which was effectively just one of those very hard mattresses in a hallway where he was kept waiting for another, you know, umpteen amount of hours. And his payoff line um, at the end of this article uh, was something along the lines of, you know, the the quality of the staff of the NHS is, you know, is world-beating. You know, these people are as committed, as skilled and dedicated as, as any you'll find in any medical profession uh, in the world, but everything else about the NHS will kill you. Um, and it was, you know, it's true then, and it's truer now. Um, and for someone who has a life-threatening condition, as I do at the moment, you know, and I am obviously not alone in that. There are millions of us who have quite literally putting our lives uh, in the hands of the NHS right now. Um, we deserve better from our politicians than what we're getting. And the NHS certainly does, and its staff certainly do. Thanks, Kirsty. Thank you, thank you. Uh, This is Whitehall Sources. We drop into your podcast feed every single week. We discuss the issues of today, informed by those who have lived it, who have been there, who have done that, who have made policy, who have walked in the corridors of power, to use the cliche. Uh, And that's what Kirsty did, and it's so good to have Kirsty with us. Uh, Thank you. Email us anytime if you'd like to. Hello at whitehallsources.com is the email address to get in touch, and we will talk to you again next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.